everyone, welcome to Zonan Canada. Uh, thank you for joining us for the annual holiday special where me and a couple of guests take a quick look back on the year and uh, talk about some of our favorite media releases, anime or otherwise. And I've got two guests with me this time around. Uh, joining me again is Dave Merrill, uh, the mastermind behind the Anime Hell panels, uh, the owner of the Let's Anime and Stupid Comics blogs, and one of the biggest ever advocates for Charge Man Ken. Um, Dave, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Uh, and uh, joining us for the first time on the show, I've been meaning to have this guy on for a while, but our schedules just have never uh, quite aligned properly. It's Jeff Thew. Uh, he runs the highly popular YouTube channel Mother's Basement. Uh, Jeff, so glad to have you on the show. I, I don't know if I'd say highly popular, you know, like monolithic, uh, godlike, of religious importance to many people, maybe. Highly popular, that just seems presumptuous. You know? <laughs> I, ha uh, I have, you, you certainly have your, your devoted followers, I've, uh, I've seen. Actually, Jeff, since um, we haven't had you on the show yet, did you want to just give a kind of a quick introduction to yourself and what you do on your channel? Okay, yeah. I, I'm, I'm Jeff Thu. I call myself a professional shitbag because I live in my mother's basement professionally, except I don't anymore. I moved into an apartment with my girlfriend because it turns out that YouTube is, uh, you know, it's it's a very lucrative line of uh, work if you can actually make it work for you. And what I do on YouTube is I basically have very in-depth... Uh, analytical, artistic discussions of things that are pop culture trash. That was the original concept, and it's kind of expanded from there. But, like, the core idea is still, like, um, giving, like, taking pop media and giving it a real uh, critical dressing down that you would expect for, like, I, I don't know, a, a piece of literature or, like, a, a an art film or something like that. So let's kind of just get things rolling. Uh, before we get to our uh, our top picks for the year, I just wanted to do a quick kind of year in review for stuff related to uh, anime in Canada over the course of 2017. So over this year, with the, the rise of the Trump regime in the United States and the somewhat questionably overblown uh, 150th uh, anniversary celebrations for, for Canada as a country, a big kind of memetic theme that we've seen uh, throughout 2017 is uh, the whole meanwhile in Canada thing where, you know, people take sort of positive things that are happening in Canada completely out of context and make it look like we live in some kind of utopia that uh, goes against the shitty state of the rest of the world. Um, no, 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 we, we do. We do. I just well, want to make that very clear. We, <laughs> we do. All right, as as the uh, the American uh, who has moved to Canada, um, uh, I guess you would probably know better than I uh, than trust, I do. Trust uh, me on this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we we are not without our problems. Uh, oh, no well, place no, is, no. of course. <laughs> I think I think this kind of attitude was probably a big influence on the viral spread of Destination Canada's Cozy Winter Canada uh, tourism mm -hmm. ad. That was, uh, of course, animated by Comics Wave Films. Uh, that was the studio behind your name, although it should be noted that it was not directed by Makoto Shinkai. Uh, rather, it was by uh, Hisayuki Tabata, um, who was actually the character designer for the recent uh, uh, Ufotable uh, Fate Stay Night TV shows and the uh, Heaven's Feel uh, movies that have just started coming out um that did make a pretty big splash mm -hmm. but one actual uh bright spot to living in canada that i think has gotten surprisingly little attention uh which is the way that our rollout of amazon prime video happened which was a kind of it was kind of a big deal last year when amazon prime picked up a lot of exclusives that we didn't have access to but that has not only been addressed because uh, we're now getting those simulcast premieres coming out in, yeah. in in canada um we could actually and this is something that 
people, a lot of people don't seem to know is that we actually are able to access the majority of, of anime simulcasts without that secondary paywall that was introduced in the u.s which is anime strike which has definitely been one of the biggest controversies in the the industry overall um Mm. over this past year uh and it's you know i'm just i'm surprised by how few people don't seem to 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 be aware of this because the the general perception still seems to be that we don't have because we don't have anime strike we don't have access to any of those titles and it's not true we actually have better access and it's actually cheaper access because our version of prime is like 30 dollars less expensive than it is in the u.s I, I don't know if I'd say better access, uh, but um, cheaper is definitely um, is definitely true. Like we're we're spending uh, I think half as much year on year, uh, like accounting for the extra paywall as as the U.S. is for um, anime content from Amazon. Uh, but the flip side of that is that. Amazon Prime Video is a horrible, disorganized, poorly programmed, poorly optimized mess. Oh, d- don't get me um, wrong, Jeff. I am no advocate of, of Amazon Prime. I I want it to be better. Like, I, I legitimately want there to be, like, good competing services to keep Crunchyroll on their toes. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want uh, Netflix to do some kind of simulcast thing. Um, and I, I really, really want Amazon to step up their game. See, the problem is that apparently Anime Strike as, like, an app and an Amazon channel uh, does have, like, proper organization, at least by genre, for anime. Um, whereas, like, on, on the anime on the Amazon Prime website, the big problem for me is that anime is just this one big category that isn't even properly maintained, so all of the new seasonal stuff still hasn't been added to any mm-hmm. of the genre search indexes, and you have to find it by searching directly for Inuyashiki or uh, Just Because or Land of the Lustrous or Umaru-chan, if you're into that. Um <laughs> And it's 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 just a huge pain in the ass to find anime on there. Uh, so that's the one benefit, I guess, of Amazon uh, Anime Strike. Not, not to mention in Canada, the we we don't we don't always get them on the same day that they launch in the U.S. They just kind of stealthily show up, and nobody announces it. Like we get we get the Sentai stuff on. Um, a lot of people seem to think that it's on High Dive here, and it's not. Um, it, it does show up on Amazon Prime, but just kind of stealthily gets added, and nobody announces it or acknowledges it in any way. Like, I, I mean, um, Sentai keeps putting out these press releases about High Dive, about how uh, they have the international rights to these titles, but they never mention where it is in Canada. And I can't help but wonder if a big reason that they do that is because they don't want Americans using VPN to access the uh, the Canadian oh, Amazon yeah, Prime yeah, and bypass yeah. the... Uh, Bypass the secondary paywall, uh, which, by the way, is totally a thing you can do. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting situation. It's nice that we have access to the stuff, but I kind of wish they'd you know just acknowledge it and and uh, try and put pu- push us as a as a valid market because it seems that we're uh, the the Canadian market seems very much like an afterthought in that situation as it as it often does in these cases. It's a um, smaller mm-hmm. market, and I don't think mm-hmm. they uh, they take it as seriously. Yeah, in the end. We are getting all that simulcasted stuff. This actually uh, gives us now access to almost every simulcasted title that uh, that that's being released. Um, and we are slowly getting the back catalog stuff. They actually they have the Swiss Family Robinson anime on there, mm-hmm. and they just added uh, 
Robotech and subtitled Macross too, which had which wasn't there before. I, I was super excited to see uh, Macross and Robotech yeah. on there. Like, um, and and they added Anne of Green Gables, I think, too. Oh, they did. I didn't there. see that. Yeah. Really? No um, way. Does it have the dub? I I'm not sure. I just saw it was either that or an, another World Masterpiece Theater thing that they have. Yeah, because that because that's because that Anne of Green Gables dub for the anime that is like that is some rare shit. Uh. The the episodes are out there. You can get them with uh, mm-hmm. if you're if you're tricky with a VPN. But 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 even the version that I think is on YouTube on some Swedish channel, it's still missing an episode or two. Oh yeah, that's 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 the worst. Um, <laughs> it's great. the The world of anime in the West is better than it's ever been for modern stuff. But tracking down old stuff and even like archiving uh some of the the like mid 2000s things is is really difficult uh, mid 2000s uh, stuff is the worst for that um like i was i was trying to find like a, a good way to watch allison and lilia uh, a little while ago um because that just wanted to see that and it's nowhere you know? I, th- I think Sentai uh, got that one and put it out at some point. It'll probably show up Did on they? High Dive. It'll, yeah, I think it'll show up yeah. on High Dive at some point, most likely. I'd hope or maybe, so. Maybe uh, I'm thinking of something else. Yeah, it's, yeah, there's so much. There's just so much stuff, you know. Yeah. I'll tell you the uh, the World Masterpiece Theater series that I really want to see is uh, their Little House on the Prairie, uh, Prairie mm. Girl Laura. That that might be what's on what's on Amazon. I I just know I was like, oh, that's a uh, Canadian thing. Uh, and I like noted that, and then I moved on to watch the show that I was I was going to watch that day, which is Made in Abyss, which I'm glad we got. You know, I'm glad we didn't have to wait like half a fucking year to be able to watch that. I should ask if I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> you can say you, yeah, you can you can say whatever you want, you, whatever you want, as long as it's not some kind of alt right slogan. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna just pop up on Amazon and see if I can find what what you're talking about here, Jeff. I In did any see case, I was on there. I did see uh, the Swiss Family Robinson, and I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 right. Uh, but I, what, sorry, I, yeah, no, I was I was just gonna pop over to Amazon too. Sorry, I don't mean yeah. to interrupt you. Oh no, it's fine. Well, uh, one thing that is missing on Amazon still is the Anaplex stuff. Uh, there's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, Amazon. There's a lot of Am- Amazon. Blah, a lot of anime strike exclusive uh, Anaplex titles in the states, uh, namely the uh, Garden of Sinners movies, and I think uh, Darker Than Black is actually uh, an exclusive there. And I, I kind of wish that Anaplex would uh, would get their asses in gear with uh, getting that stuff up here because there's no reason why they could have it on the American. Amazon Prime, but not the Canadian one, because I'm pretty sure there are no other companies uh, standing in between uh, those rights uh, and uh, Canadian viewers. So I kind of wish they'd uh, they'd get with the program on that, like, because Sentai clearly has no problem doing that. But um, um, sorry, I just want to cut in. It was Little Women that they added. Oh, really? That's that's what I was thinking. I missed that. Let me let me add that to one of uh, one of the many Little Women anime series that exist. (laughs) It's been animated I, three or four times. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and they got all the seasons. I, I am not a fan of how they break everything up by season, though. Um, it, like, bloats the hell out of that list. Um, well, and I then mean, we, get, we get stuff like Jinter's Giant and A Better Tomorrow just, like, randomly mixed in with the anime. Yeah. I, <laughs> what's, that, what's that other one that's... Uh, there, there are a few very questionable choices in their, in their anime category, for sure. Uh, a- anyway, I, I'm not gonna sit around looking yeah. for that. Um, Sorry, so, I, I just like harping on Amazon. 
Oh, there's so um, there's so there's... much to say. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, there's there's a, there's a lot to say on the Amazon uh, front, and I think we're going to see a lot more interesting developments with that next year. Uh, mm-hmm. What will happen? Who knows? So, in, in terms of conventions, uh, it hasn't been a great year, uh, at least on the industry front, because um, from what I have noticed, and and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that there has been apart from Funimation having a panel at o- Otakuthon in Montreal, there was basically no industry present at any of the major anime convention this past. Um, and I think that's uh, that's an unfortunate step back. It seemed like they were starting to uh, improve a bit in that front. And I don't know if it's because of the cons themselves or because because Canada is increasingly being seen as more of a spillover market than one where you can actually, you know, go to interact with the fans and actually make an effort. But um, I, I it's a bit of a troubling North, development. Anime North is on the same weekend as some conventions in the States. So that... Um, yeah, takes Sack up anime I yeah it's, yeah it's, but there's there's way too many anime cons right now i mean there, there mm-hmm. are but the thing is that anime north is regularly either the second or third largest anime convention in all of north america oh and, it's a big show yeah it's yeah a big show. and and like even if there are three or four other conventions going on that weekend skipping anime north that's that, like to me that seems insane like you <laughs> shouldn't be skipping a, a show that big i mean it's, it's well i i will agree i believe anime north should be doing uh, whatever it takes to get representatives from these companies to come to the show and to present uh, at the show. Mm-hmm. And I've made my feelings known to the upper-level management, you know. And they, they're they doing what they got to do. I mean, I think what we need to remember about Anime North right now is they're pretty much full. Like, they can't fit any more people into the building they're in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, 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 that con is usually capped now, isn't it? It's capped, yeah. Yeah. So they're kind of like the there's they're only going to work so hard to try to make the show even more awesome. Mm-hmm. I guess I mean until you know, they can move to a new venue. There aren't any new venue. <laughs> there's nothing bigger than that in the Toronto area. Not really. They could go downtown, mm-hmm. and downtown doesn't want them. Downtown for obvious reasons. Well, yeah. they have a fan expo downtown, but it is you come in, you buy some stuff, you get some autographs, and you leave. It's not a mm-hmm. you know a fan convention the way we're used to think. So I don't I honestly Fan don't Expo know. did start as an anime convention though. Well, I know kind of. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> I've never been. Yeah. I'm not the guy to talk about Fan Expo. I could care less about TV stars autographs, so I don't go. Hey, so. me too. <laughs> but I, I do think they need to do that. I think that would be of benefit both to themselves and to the fandom. Honestly, what this is all about. So they really should work harder. And I guess I'm just going to have to kick their ass and, uh, you know, say, hey, guys, come on, let's do this thing. Come on, let's go. Come on, you know. Yeah, do it do, do it for us, Dave. Do it for I us. Think, uh, yeah. Well, for all of us, you know. For all of us, yeah. Everyone listening, everyone who uh, who, who, who wants a brighter anime future in Canada, which brighter, we're always reaching for. Future, yeah. yes. I was just going to say that, like, I think part of the, the thing is that um, Crunchyroll has been stepping down a bit of their industry presence at other cons across the board because they were putting together their own con. Yep. Um, it's true that that's true. That did happen across the board. Yeah. I heard, I heard good things about that show. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I was, uh, a guest there. It had pretty good attendance. Um, like, like I, the fans there were generally speaking pretty respectful and, and cool, chill people. Um, there was a lot of cool stuff going on there. Uh, Obviously I'm going to appreciate any con that places an emphasis on like anime YouTubers as guests, um, because uh, I've got a bit of a bias, but um, I appreciate you know the ability to interact with my fans, and I think that uh, 
on a per dollar basis, it's probably a better investment to bring in, you know, somebody like Gigic or, or, um, the anime man or myself, uh, who, who like has like a big English speaking audience that they can interact with as opposed to, you know, bringing in a voice actor or an, uh, animator from Japan, um, who needs a translator and needs, um, you know, needs to have, uh, like, like an expensive flight and all of their accommodations taken care of and all of that. Well, I'll um, tell you, this is where running a convention turns, that's why it's an art and not a science, because mm. you have to balance, here's a guest here who is an anime YouTuber who can fill that events room, who people really yeah. want to see, and you can also get an animator from Japan who doesn't speak English, maybe you have to educate the audience on who this guy is and what he worked on. And mm -hmm. you have to kind of, you have to work a little harder at selling a Japanese, well, not not every Japanese guest, obviously, but sometimes you have to work a little harder on selling a Japanese guest to your audience to say, yeah, you know that show you like? He did it. It's like, oh, yeah. you know. So, yeah, and this is it's, all part of... Uh, it's got to be in the panel description. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. yes, 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 yeah. yes. But yeah, Which I it, mean, you know, I, when that main events room is filled, uh, that's all it takes, man. And if you're filling mm -hmm. that events room, that's all they want to see. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm like, I'm not saying it's not good to have like anime producers and a animators and voice actors as guests. Um, I think like it's it's really positive because it allows the anime industry to see what a huge audience they have over here, and it allows us to have more direct interactions with them. It's just good all around. Um, I just think like there's a lot of anime conventions that that like downplay as as far as I've seen, they they like really stretch to get the the animator and voice actor guests because that's who they care about. That's who the like cause the people who run these conventions are really, really dedicated anime fans who are really, you know, they, they care a lot about the production side of things and they know a lot of inside baseball about that. Um, so to them, these guys are heroes and they want to bring them in. Uh, but then on the flip side, to sell that to your audience, I think it's good to have like a few voices that, that you know, that they actually recognize from the Western side of things and that, to, to draw them in. And then you can sort of be like, hey, how about we bring in this guy who did a cool thing you love and once they've got your attention they can they can sort of you know actually what's yeah. fascinating is that i hear the exact opposite i hear people well i hear i read tweets from people like saying we need more animators at these anime cons and fewer youtubers and fewer cosplayer guests and fewer I, you know fan guests of honor or whatever so it's fascinating I, and so yeah. you're coming from the exact opposite direction I'm okay with having like YouTubers and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, they they can they are very valuable guests. What but what bothers me is when they bring in YouTubers who have nothing to do with anime, or well, they're like ga yeah, gamer that's... YouTubers at, yeah. at, at an anime convention. Why why like <laughs> at least get them on brand? Having... I'll tell you I the mean... secret. The secret is it's like a stew, man. You got to mm -hmm. have a little bit of this. You got to have a little bit of that. You got a little bit of that thing over there. A little bit of this. You mix it all together in the pot, and mm -hmm. everybody becomes friends in the pot. Exactly. That's how and it I, works. And, and, and yeah, the, the gaming YouTubers, like, bringing one or two in if they really like anime and they want to talk about it, that's cool, you know? Um, it's a little awkward to see, like, you know... I, I don't want to throw a name out there because I am a big fan of lots of these YouTubers, but it's a little awkward to see, like, a video game reviewer who doesn't know much about anime at all just show up because a con has, like, a gaming presence and they've got, like, a certain budget... And somebody at that con wants to meet that guy. 
uh, or something like that. Exactly, you know? exactly. Uh, I was at an Acon back in the 90s, so that tells you how long ago this was. One of their guests was Frank Conniff, TV's Frank from Mystery Science Theater 3000. And nobody knew who he was. He was wandering around the whole week and, you know, enjoying himself, I guess, but he didn't have a lot to do because people were like, isn't that that guy from that thing? Yeah, I guess it's that guy from that thing. <laughs> I, th- I think mm-hmm. my favorite my favorite ever instance of that was that one anime evolution where they invited Uwe Boll as a guest. Uh, but uh, wow. every, everyone knew who he was. <laughs> yeah. Here's You, you want another crazy thing? <laughs> Uwe Boll has actually made something good in Vancouver recently. Um, I... I uh, there's a restaurant in Vancouver now called Bauhaus. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, he does. By, yeah. I forgot about that. By, yeah. So he he's like running a high end, uh, like four star um, German cuisine restaurant out of downtown Vancouver. The food's great. I've been there. Um, I was going to ask, have you been there? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like in there a lot of nights. Um, what is four star German cuisine like? Uh, very heavy. Um, <laughs> I will st- say that like a, a high end, um, well cooked schnitzel is delicious. Yes. Um, but uh, it it like gave me some some very thick and solid schnitzel but later I'm on. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it it was it was um it was really good food. Uh, and I it's cool that there is a place in Vancouver now where I can go to meet Uva Bull, and I'm excited about that, but if it was an anime convention, I'd just be like, why? It's never an done odd, an anime thing. That's an odd fit, yeah. That, that's like, uh, a stretch. I, yeah. I, he, he was, just, I mean, he was I, just really accessible because he was filming a lot of films here at that time. I think okay. that, was, that was the big reason. Yeah, this is, this is where he films, because uh, Vancouver's got one of the cheapest filming locations in the world, mm-hmm. a lot of cheap extras around here. Um, my friend's dad was one of the cover zombies in House of the Dead. Uh, you know, he, he would always tell us that and we'd be like, cool, that's really cool. Neat. And then none of us cared because it's House of the Dead. But I, I, that, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about, about film guests and, and, and gaming YouTube guests at convention at like anime cons, uh-huh. uh, is it's just like, neat. You did a cool thing that you should be proud of, but this is not the place. Nobody I'll- here is. I'll tell you, that's a real, uh, a lot of discussions have been going on amongst people who run anime cons about mission creep and when does your anime con start to turn into a general pop culture convention. Do you want that? Do you not want it? How do you stop it? How do you start it? It's an ongoing discussion. It's a conversation that's happening all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's going to get more and more convoluted as... Well, you know, and this is what kills me. Japanese animation is popular culture. I mean, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. That's why we started all this stupid stuff, to try to jam it in front of everybody's face and say, hey, look at this stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And now that it is, it's kind of out there. It's kind of become its own. It's part of popular culture. You can't deny that. And there's a little bit of pushback from the people that were there first going, wait a minute. This used to be my special secret thing. I don't want all these strangers in, you know. And then mm-hmm. other people are like, no, 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 come on in. The water's fine. This is great. Eh, the more the merrier, you know. And when you have a show like Anime North that does, I don't know, 40,000 people, that gives them a lot of, um, they can do a lot of fun things with 40,000, you know? Yeah. It, it's, and, it's all good. That's what I yeah. think. Yeah. I I do think, like, to to play devil's advocate for a second, if there's, if an anime convention is, like, the only convention in your area. Oh, yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Then, then, like, it can be really exciting to have somebody like Pro Jared show up there 
uh, and just be like, oh, cool, I get to meet pro Jared. And that draws in people who aren't necess- who might be interested in, t- in anime to check out the anime convention. This yeah. is what, um, uh, what happened at Project Akon in Dallas. They were pretty much the only pop culture fandom thing in Dallas for about 10 years. And that's why mm-hmm. their focus is way beyond Japanese cartoons. Very, very broad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a complicated discussion. I just... Yeah. yeah. I all all I was saying initially was just like I appreciate it when they give any tuber guests like equal billing with the Japanese guests um because it's it's good for the convention and I think good for the the con goers in general. Um but of course there are going to be like very vocal people who are like no, I want more more anime guests cuz this is the this is the only place that will ever have say Makoto Shinkai show up to premiere a film like he did at Anime Expo or even like like going more obscure the director of FMA Brotherhood coming to pr- promote his Kickstarter um yes the ha- the Halloween show what was it called again uh ha- Halloween costume Seattle I don't it look, know. It, it looks fun it's cute. it looks fun <laughs> yeah. i i it's it's just very poorly marketed yeah uh, yeah um just just to wrap up the uh the, the the sort of the, the year end review. Uh, I was trying to find a segue between Vancouver voice actors and what I was gonna bring up next because they used to be a very common uh, fixture at at uh, at least at Vancouver conventions. But um, you're seeing that less and less, and that's because there's been fewer dubs going on. Um, but uh, uh, Ocean Studios, well, they put out a number of projects in the last couple of years, and we're kind of we've been gradually seeing those projects uh, get released. Um, mostly in 2017, uh, it was confirmed that Keys Niver was one of the dubs uh, that Crunchyroll produced and sent to Vancouver. And we also finally got uh, that dub of um, of uh, Gintama Season 3 uh, was launched on, on Crunchyroll as well, which was a um, pretty interesting product overall. I, I kind of hope they go back and do more of that because it's uh, kinda, I'm still pretty impressed that they were able to pull that off at all. Um, but uh, there's probably, st- it seems that there still were some other projects that have yet to be uh, unve- unveiled, and unfortunately I don't think we'll hear about it before the end of the year. Um, but we'll, uh, yeah, we'll stay tuned for that. Um, one, of course, one notable Vancouver dub that still hasn't seen the light of day is that uh, fabled uh, alternative dub of Dragon Ball Z Kai that is still sitting in a vault somewhere. Um, it's worth noting, though, that... Uh, Bell recently announced they're converting their uh, their channel Comedy Gold into a new youth service called Wow. Uh, and one of the lead programmers on Wow has actually been on Twitter and has expressed interest in trying to uh, uncover the rights to that particular dub. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen because I kind of don't know if that dub is even available right now. It is a really weird legal situation. Um, but uh, yeah, that might be something to keep an eye on for uh, as well because if that if that alternate dub for DBZ Kai ever sees the light of day, it's going to be on that channel. I, I, sh- I sure would love to see like somebody resurrect some of the Canadian dubs, like um, the Nelvana dub of um, card captors, card captor. Well, they just instance. announced that, that the new card captor series is going to have a Funimation dub. And I, I, I know a lot of people have lamented the lack of the Canadian cast, but the, the thing is that that old Nelvana dub of card captor Sakura is so stigmatized. There, there's mm-hmm. just no, like, there's just no way they would bring the Vancouver cast back for that, even if it were a viable option. I have I have not seen it, but I'm told that there is a Nelvana pilot dub of Fist of the North Star. Oh what? <laughs> oh, haven't what? seen it. <laughs> that haven't... sounds. I I That's I God need to fear. see this. We we need we need to uncover this thing, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. 
Yeah. Um, if you guys track it down, please send it my way because that <laughs> sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, I just like I also have I, the ones that do get released are all from from the ocean dubs. Uh, all seem to involve Richard Ian Cox, um, and those are great because I just I I love his his particularly scratchy Kagome voice. Um, sorry if this is like a bit off, off topic. I was just remembering, um, I, I, I'm a big fan of Ranma and Rumiko Takahashi in general. Uh, so I, I distinctly remember when, when Ranma's, uh, licensors shifted production over to, uh, Ocean for the last four seasons of that show. I, I think it was Ocean uh, the whole time. It's just they, they recasted Ranma specifically. Uh, okay. Yeah. If, if that's what happened, that's what happened. I just... It it was really interesting because like you know we go into one season Rama's like oh I'm gonna save the world I mean you know I'm gonna stop this evil martial artist or whatever um my Rama impression's not on point today and then went to you know uh, Akane you know yeah um puberty also, puberty is what did that puberty, <laughs> puberty is what happened yeah that's what? also when, the season that Rama got bad sorry I'm yeah. a rambler <laughs> in case you couldn't tell. Uh, we're, no, worth, I, I, no, worth noting I, also that Ranma One Half, uh, one of the few show, one of the one of the shows in uh, Viz's catalog that still has never been available streaming in Canada. It's still uh, it's still locked away in Hulu Hell. You know, I'm I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing Maze on a Koku again. I I want to see that streaming. Oh yeah, I hope that 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 yeah, yeah that was also an Ocean dub. Oh man, yeah, I got to see that. And I never saw the dub of it. I would I would no, I never saw the dub. Out. Yeah, I've, I've actually only I've, I've only read the comic, and it is one of my favorite Takahashi. Hey, speaking um, of 2017 and dubs, so we finally got a license here for Space Battleship Yamato oh, 2199. Yeah. Finally, and I have yet to see the dub. But are we are we gonna get are we gonna get a uh, home video release on that one? Probably not. Well, it, I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe maybe not. I mean, we already did mostly kind of. For twenty one ninety nine, but uh, yeah, Funimation should definitely put that out uh, as a set. I think. Yeah, here's I'd love hoping. To see that, but we were not even. I mean, before a couple of months ago, you know, or a month ago, and we didn't. It didn't have a license. Period. So now at least it's streaming. So people, when we tell people, "Holy Christ, you need to see this," people can actually see it now. So God, that's that a that positive. show had one of the most inept um, sort of launches uh, in in the Western markets like ever. So astonishingly bad the way that they par for the course for that license for the past twenty five thirty years. Very true, and the original series is still probably going to be in purgatory for a very very long time, if not forever. You know, sorry, sorry, I just had to remind you of that, Dave. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't want to say that it's purgatory, but getting workable like like high quality prints of the original show may actually be impossible at this point. Yeah, you have to talk to Tim Elder. But those were, you know, I don't know, 16-millimeter television prints from 1979, you know. But they, they do have Blu-ray releases in Japan, though. Oh, in Japan, yeah. But yeah. the Star Blazers cut, it's oh, a completely yeah, yeah. different cut. So yeah, you'd exactly. have to recut the entire show because they edited uh, little snips and snaps here and there. Here's some Japanese yeah. uh, text. we got to cut that out. Here's a yeah. dude getting shot right in the forehead. we got to cut that out. Yeah. That kind of well, thing. You know. Well, Dave, like we mentioned in the when, we, you, when I had you on for the Captain Harlock episode, it always amazed me how, with the French dubs, they could always find a way to take that or, those original French dubs and sync them to the uncut video and then do proper bilingual releases like 30 years later. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's like Albator was for... such a popular show. Yeah. Much more popular than Star Blazers was in the States. 
Yeah, I'm just spitballing here, but I yeah. think it was. And oh, no one was sure, willing to sure, throw yeah. the money at it. I mean, if someone was willing to throw the money at remastering Starblazer, um, which fans have done, by the way. Mm-hmm. Not that I was involved in a project like that, but fans <laughs> have remastered Starblazer. But not, you know, obviously mm-hmm. it's not an HD quality, release quality. Anyway, we can now watch it streaming. Everyone should watch Space Battleship Yamato or Starblazer's 2199. That's how, that's how you have to search for it on Crunchyroll and Funimation. But it is indeed there, and you can watch it, and you should go watch it. Um, what, what, one other point I wanted to, to bring up with the ocean dubs, uh, something this year, we did see a continuing trend of old ocean dubs kind of being erased. Um, we've, we've kind of already seen this happen with Escaflone a couple of years ago. Oh, oh, my dog has just made another cameo appearance on the show. <laughs> What's that? Timmy's oh. down a well. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so we, we, uh, a couple years ago, we saw Escaflone, uh, get a, a new dub done in Texas. Uh, and now we're seeing something else happen with Gundam Seed, um, which is really just, it's pretty disappointing. Uh, I know that not everyone is the biggest fan of, of Gundam Seed and not everyone is definitely going to be attached to that old dub or that old cast, uh, you know, in, in, in the United States, perhaps. But I mean, in Canada, that show was a big hit. And I think the, you know, as janky as that old dub was, I think a lot of people would really like to hear the, the original cast brought back. And I know the technical reasons of why they're redubbing it is because the new remastered version of Gundam Seed um, is is recut. Uh, it has to be retimed. It has new footage. There's basically no way you can use the old recording on it. Um, but damn it, there's no reason they couldn't have sent that new redub to Vancouver. It's it's being done in L.A., uh just no reason. I think it, I think it's inexcusable. I think they're like kind of. I think they're. I think they are actively overlooking the Canadian fan base in uh, mm-hmm. in doing that. I know there's no active effort to phase out the, these Vancouver dubs, but you know it, you have these the, the, these different little uh, instances piling up. It's kind of starting to feel that way for a lot of people. I think so. I, I hope I hope we do keep seeing more projects coming coming out of Vancouver in the future to kind of make up for that, though. Uh, just one other thing uh, to point out that in uh, in terms of TV. Uh, Cheese New Address, the sequel to Cheese Sweet Home, uh, has been airing on the, the French CBC Radio Canada. Um, mm. Still chugging along every morning at 8.12 a.m., uh, showing still that CBC and Radio Canada are really no less viable than any other broadcasters in Canada when it comes to carrying anime, at least at this point. Uh, so if you haven't seen any of Chi, you can you know check it out. It's running nonstop. At 8.12 in the morning. 8.12 in the morning, yeah. All right. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, it's you, you got you got to be quick. These those episodes are like three minutes long. They're short. Yeah. So what yeah. what's what's the lead in to that? Oh, the lead in. Um, yeah, I think like it, how do you how do you like what's three minutes long that you run before that, or twelve minutes long that you run before? That? Uh, I can't remember the name of the show. It looks it looks like some kind of uh, c- c- preschool CGI version of Gatchaman is what it looks like to me whenever I see it. I can't remember what the show is called though. Uh. Wasn't that called Infinity Force? <laughs> oh. No, but that's actually a really good show. I just yeah, I haven't seen it. I'm looking forward to because uh, it could go either way, you know. Yeah, it I mean be... the from what I've seen of it so far, it's it's like a lot of fan service, um, which is exactly what a Tatsunoko thing should be. Is just like um, here here's this old thing you love. Here's more of it. Here's it's Tech not... Man. Here's here's Kashar and Hurricane Palomar, you know, and uh, I, I'm I'm not going to say that I would not watch a thing that had Kasharn in it because I really like Kasharn. You go the the, the Pajama masks or PJ masks is the name of the show that that comes before it. It's like twelve minutes long. Um. So anyway, uh, I think uh, it's probably time to move on to our our uh, our favorite p- bits of media. Uh, over the past for the past year from 2017. Um. So there's two ways we can do this. We can each 
give one title at a time and then go on to the next person or we can each have we can just have each person give uh give their picks one at a time i think it's usually a little smoother when we do it that way though um so uh dave why don't we have you go first would you like to share your uh your choices for 2017 all right i will do that thing right now and there isn't uh there's not any anime in it because i'm lazy and i can't remember if uh mob psycho 100 came out this year or last year Last year. Because last year. that was, I think, uh, my favorite uh, Japanese cartoon, the last block of geographic time that I'm thinking, geological time. Anyway, uh, my favorite thing, my first favorite thing that I saw in 2017 is uh, Kong Skull Island. Uh, I enjoyed the living heck out of that movie. Um, I think it did everything that it set out to do, and it did it with style, and it didn't make any... Um, it wasn't embarrassed about itself. It just it was confident in its outrageousness. And it had a scene where uh, a woman shoots a giant hell monster from the depths in the earth in the skull with a flare gun, which is always a plus. Enjoyed the heck out of that movie. Sure, it's a Vietnam era film, so you're going to get your Creedence Clearwater revival. However, you're also, <laughs> you are going to get your Iggy and the Stooges. And uh, as God is my witness, I have never heard a needle drop of a Stooges song in a film. And, and I'm not talking <laughs> about, you know, uh, train spotting here, you know, uh, <sighs> terrific film. Uh, John C. Riley's in it. He's great in it. And uh, that's actually what sold me in the trailer was seeing John C. Riley. Uh, I'm like, Nope, I'm there. Um, he's a really underrated actor. Oh, yeah, John general. C. Riley's great. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's nothing he can't do. Uh, the guy is inhuman. He could do anything. Yeah. He's, he's got like, like, I mean, we always associate him with like, like comedic roles, I think just in general pop culture, but, um, well, not at first, because if you saw Boogie Nights, I mean, he, he's a, he's a, a humorous character in Boogie Nights, but that is not a comedy. Yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm more leaning towards like, uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Um, oh yeah. 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 And, uh, Steve Brule. Steve Brule. Well, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the role that defines him now, yeah. mm-hmm. but I mean, he was in gangs of New York for, you know, it's like, I forgot he was also... about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, he was also in that that Polanski movie set in the New York apartment, uh, Savages, I think it was, or or um, it's just a bunch of parents arguing over their kids beating each other up, um, <laughs> and it's it's I mean you know there's there's some stuff uh, that makes makes it a bit uncomfortable to say a Polanski movie's good, but it's a really good movie. There's a lot of stuff uh, to say about a Polanski film, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a that's um, a long conversation. Uh, but yeah, that was that was the first film that I saw him in that I was like, wow, this dude's got like real range. Because uh, previously I'd just seen him alongside Will Ferrell in a couple things. Um, yeah, 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 Dewey Cox, right? I mean, come mm-hmm. on, and and Step Brothers, Step Brothers. You know, and I, I with Riley, you get the you get the sense he really enjoys what he's doing. He puts himself into the role, and yet you never forget that it's John C. Riley. You know. But I think everybody in Kong Skull Island did a great job. Even Sam Jackson, who I believe if a shopping list showed up on his doorstep, he would immediately call his agent and say, I want in on that. Because there's no movie he won't be in. And yet even he put was uh, on his A-game on this one. I just really I enjoyed the whole picture. Uh, did what it said it was going to do. Um, got us in and out in, uh, uh, I don't know, under two hours. Didn't waste a lot of my time. Sure, it's got a little, uh, maybe there's a sequel coming up. Maybe there's not. It's okay. It's all right if, if there aren't any more of these. We're all good. Are they going to tie it into the uh, the Godzilla yeah, yeah, movies yeah, that yeah, are yeah. coming they're up? Tie, they tie it right into the Godzilla yeah. movies, but that's yeah. okay. You know, they're, they're not building like a Universal Monsters like uh, <laughs> cinematic universe. I, I, I think they canceled that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this yeah. is how Universal should have done it. Mm. <laughs> Which is... But, 
but you know. like I believe that their their ta- like their original plan might have been to fuse this with what they were doing with with the mummy and Wolfman and stuff like that. Um, right, they called it like the Dark Universe and went as far as to actually have the uh, the Universal logo like rewind and then launch again, say with uh, the text "The Dark Universe." Is that, mm-hmm. That's a I never saw that movie. But, yeah, no one no one uh, saw those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I I'm. I don't know. I, I think that, that like a kaiju cinematic universe is cool. Um Shane, they can't bring Pacific Rim into that, but what are you gonna do, right? I'm okay with that. I was really underwhelmed by Pacific Rim. I, I My... I'm the one guy. You can go ahead and shoot me now. I'm I, I, I... I'm the I'm the other guy. I was never big on Pacific Rim. Uh I It's all right. First I have off, high I, expect... I, I... sorry, go ahead. First off we have a perfectly good word. It's called giant monster. Uh, I'm not a Japanese person. You know, actually, that's what kind of bugs me about uh, watching the new Mystery Science Theater is they keep saying kaiju, like you're watching Yongari, and they keep saying kaiju. And it's like, guys, you're weaving me out here, and it's driving me insane. Just say giant monster. It's okay. Giant monster. It's all right. It's giant monster. It's okay. I feel like kaiju is like a a, a helpful sort of shorthand, though, because it, it describes like a specific kind of giant monster you know um and i i feel like it, it almost confuses things to bring king kong into that because um kong isn't really what i think of when i think of of a kaiju type monster hey man he was fighting godzilla before we was born yeah he I mean, was it, there right he was there sense. first right that's what i'm talking about he was there first i mean he was no godzilla doubt is, on godzilla godzilla was yeah. like oh maybe we can do this too king kong is uh he's where it's at and what i kind of like about skull island is it reminds me a lot of uh one of my favorite you know kaiju movie which is king kong escapes which is a terrific and it has a robot king kong in it which i hope we'll see in the next and doctor who i want doctor who to show up that would be neat <laughs> that's my uh that's my wish list I, you know, I what I really want to see. I want to see like um, the Flash from the the DC um, extended universe. I want to see the Flash like accidentally phase into the Potterverse that Warner Brothers is like simultaneously building. I think that that would be great because he, you know, he's already a dimension hopper. Um, it would be real neat to just see him run through the Lego cinematic universe that they also own. Um, it's it's just, I, it's just funny to me that like Warner Brothers is trying so hard to to sail this this uh, DCEU ship, and meanwhile they've got like one semi successful thing in Harry Potter and one immensely successful thing in Lego that they're not properly le- uh, leveraging at all. It is really it is really strange. Well, I mean, you know. I don't know that that they have any more room to stash the giant piles of $1,000 bills that Harry Potter made them. So I'm not too worried. Like, they could keep making turkeys. They could keep throwing money at Zack Snyder to make terrible movies for till the end of time. You know, until Zack Snyder shows up with a pistol and makes me see those movies, I don't care. They can make 50 of those movies. I kind of appreciate that they're not... Yeah, I, I kind of appreciate they're not exploiting the uh, the Lego stuff too much because I mean it, they put su- they put really good stuff out under that uh, under that banner and I feel like if they tried to to push it too hard it would probably go off the rails pretty quickly. They've got a lot like yeah. they have like a Ninja Go TV show or something, don't they? I mean they've got a lot of Lego sort of secondary animation stuff. I'm not too clued in on what Lego is up to these days, but I know that they maybe they don't want to like 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 mm-hmm. dilute their brand in terms of 
you know, hey kids, buy these toys, you know. Well, I mean, they kind of have two different Lego Batmans now, because there's like the made-for-TV Lego Batman, and then there's the Lego movie Lego Batman. And they're like, kind of related, but kind of not. Um, it gets confusing. Uh, not that literally anybody cares uh, about consistency in that universe. As long I, as I really hope fun. they don't. <laughs> I really hope that, that as you know, this is Batman. There was a zebra Batman and a negative Batman and Ace the Bat-Hound and Bat-Mite and uh, Batman Dies at Dawn and the Batman from Planet X. And did I already say the Rainbow Batman? I said the Rainbow Batman. We were, all think, we were all thinking the Rainbow Batman, so it's okay, Rainbow Dave. <laughs> Uh, so, Dave, you want to move on to your uh, your second oh, yeah. pick? Yeah. yeah, so speaking of Vancouver, uh, my, my second pick for uh, 2017 media is the television show Riverdale, uh-huh. uh, which uh, as a, an Archie Comics guy, I am enjoying the heck out of because... We're going to have to fight. I, I, <laughs> I am an Archie Comics guy, and I put out like, um, uh, uh, I think like a 25-minute video about why I hate Riverdale and everything it stands for. Um, wow. So I don't want to... You, Tell me you, why you like it, and then oh, I will. Okay. Well, first off, I I, I like that that uh, Jughead's dad can be sitting in a jail cell reading an issue of Chilling Adventures in Sorcery, starring Sabrina, which is a deep cut. Secondly, I like that uh, Cricket Odell is a student at Riverdale High, even though I don't believe she's had a speaking role yet. Throwing Cricket Odell in there is like that's a deep cut, right? There. That is a series. Um. I almost quit watching the show, and I don't know, like, you're not watching the show, but there's a point at which the Black Hood, which is another deep-cut Archie thing, uh, shoots uh, Moose and Midge, uh, or shoots Moose and Midge, it's it's complicated. And I'm like, if Moose and Midge are dead, I am done with them. And they didn't do it. So I'm mm. like, okay, all right, you got me, all right. Uh, I... I like Big Ethel in it. I don't believe... I think Veronica is like, like, because everybody's like, who do you like, Betty or Veronica? I was always a Betty kind of guy, but the Veronica on the TV show is nailing the look. Like, whoever is doing her costuming has worked really hard to kind of get this 1965, uh, 1967 kind of mod, put-together sweet spot of uh, Victoria fashion, uh, uh, Veronica fashions, and I'm I'm really enjoying that. I th- Betty, at least, is working on a car this season, so... That's a mm-hmm. that's a plus in my book. That's an uh, improvement over last season. It's an improvement just... over last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's I, actually I... figuring stuff out this time, and I, I kind of like that. Um, Jughead is uh, Cole Sprouse is nailing Jughead so hard. He's doing a tremendous job as Jughead. Uh, don't like seeing his eyeballs. Shouldn't be seeing his eyeballs. Took them a long time to get him eating a eating a hamburger. Mm. Um, uh, th- they've gotten him in pops. So I I sort of dropped off the show towards the middle of the first season. Um, cause I like was not enjoying it and I feel like they are undercutting a lot of the stuff that makes me love these characters. Um, for starters, like the fact that Jughead is interested in a woman period is just kind of completely out of character for him. Um, just across all interpretations, he's been that guy like, Ooh, girls, give me, give me a hamburger. Um, he likes girls if their father, uh, is a butcher or runs a pizza parlor, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, is or has a video some way, game arcade he in can some hang way at. in some way food related, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, but yeah, yeah, no, no, I can understand that. I can understand that. And and there's other things like like Ar- Archie Andrews over the course of the first few episodes, he's like not honest. He's just straight up not a good guy. Um, I, like I will lies. tell you, the weak link in the show is uh, Archie. 
Archie mm. is is they're not really sure what to do with him, and, and I, I, I I feel like at some point he is going to go into Veronica's house and break a vase, and and when that happens, they'll I'll know that they've got Archie. But so they, far they actually understand not, his yeah yeah, yeah he's yeah, not clumsy right. he's not he's clumsy. like he's not clumsy he's like kind of a a liar and and just kind of a he's, not great person he's trying to do um, the right thing and he's really bad at it which is an archie kind of thing but this is they're they they've the darkness on the show has been dialed down it's much 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 darker than i would like it is a really dark show uh you know so i'm not super happy about that but uh i will say i i'm not crazy about uh coach weatherby uh he's not funny he needs to be funny like he's a really harsh guy, and they need to give him at least one moment where he can be funny. Just let him be I, funny. One. I also was not a fan of what they did with Miss Grundy as a character. See, I th- I thought that was a pretty good twist. I kind of mm. like that. I just I don't know. I've I watched the show after. Have you read the new like the new update of Riverdale of, or of like the Riverdale universe with the new Archie, the new Jughead, the new Betty and Monica comics? Nope. So. Basically, there is a modernized update of Archie running in comics right now that is like like it's topical, it's social media relevant, it's it's everything that Riverdale tries to be, except that it's not also a shitty melodramatic Twin Peaks knockoff. Um, and I like so I I do not mean to you know dump on it because it's it can definitely be like an enjoyable show if you're in the mood for like a melodrama with Archie characters and, and some deep cuts to the lore. Cause I will admit, you know, they they, they do hit. Some there's of the a, deep there's, lore. there's a lot of deep cuts, you know, who showed Well, okay. He didn't show up, but they name dropped Wilbur Wilkins. That's recently. crazy. Yeah. 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 But, so. but so like in this comic universe that they've got running now, they've got, um, all of these deep cuts They've got a modernized take, but they all feel like the characters. Like, one of the first interactions that Archie has with Veronica in the comic is um, her dad is building a new mansion on the edge of Riverdale. Archie goes there for a day as a part-time job to help them build it and ends up destroying the entire construction site. Um, That's like... That's that's in character Archie and the whole like their whole modernization and like adding a plot to it is Archie used to be dating Betty. They had a falling out and they're trying to figure out how to still be friends. And now he's in love with Veronica, who's kind of manipulative and bad for him, but also he likes her. So it's it's like a different take on that relationship dynamic that still leaves it open for a love triangle without resorting to the same like oh man silly me jughead i i scheduled a date with betty and veronica on the same day what am i gonna do i better pretend to be a waiter and just like sneak between two different restaurants no to... no, no no that's that's juvenile stuff motor scooter mm-hmm. between the two dates yeah exactly or or um, yeah, God, skateboard, so many... you can do a skateboard, yeah. Well, see, the trick about Archie comics is that um, every seven years you have an entirely new crop of kids reading Archie comics. So you can do the same stories over and over because it's okay. This is how comic books should, I mean, in my opinion, this is how comic books were when they were popular, when they were popular culture, because you had a new set of readers coming in. You'd start reading them around seven, eight, eight. You'd get done with them when you were about 13. And a new crop of kids is going to come in over and over and over again. This is back when comics regularly sold a million copies a month. 
back when they were stupid. And of course, comic <laughs> books now are not stupid. They're very smart and intelligent for grown-ups, and that's why uh, they sell uh, terribly. Yeah. So, I mean, they they sell well enough to sustain themselves. Well, Archie is... Archie Comics actually sell really well. And it's a privately held company that does not care what diamond. So we're never going to get good numbers out of Archie. They play yeah. things really close to the vest. They, I, I will say that the reboot is is like selling well and getting good critical reception. Well, from let me tell you, fans. Archie Comics, man, they did. They made. They they introduced Kev, Kevin Keller, mm-hmm. and that got them a lot of media. They got Archie married to both Betty and Veronica. That got them a lot of media. They introduced, uh, you know. Uh, let's turn Archie into a zombie, man. That got them a lot oh, of media. Afterlife with Archie, yeah, 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 is one yeah, of the yeah. Greatest, like horror people, comics, like ever. People will not stop talking about that, and that that's because Archie Comics knows they need to keep themselves in the public eye, selling comic books. And the, the TV show, it's a great TV show. They're not worried about that. They're gonna keep publishing comic books, which is what they've been doing since 1940 or whatever. You know? Yeah, I guess I guess I can't complain because like. Archie still exists in a format that I can enjoy. Archie just, is, is can contain multitudes. I just really can't enjoy Riverdale, and I I I don't know. I have the same problem with Riverdale, and it's sort of like edification of the Archie characters as I do with the DCU. Um, just because like like they put out a movie where Batman is going around killing people with guns. Um, and that kind of undermines two pillars of what Batman is, but now that's what Batman is in the public consciousness for any kid who's never seen the original Batman movies or Dark Knight movies before comes into this, um, sees Batman killing people with guns and he's like, oh, Batman's, you know, a guy with tanks who's mean and kills people with guns. And like, if somebody's I, I believe, watching River, uh, well, uh, um, it, yeah, it, what I what I think is like somebody watches Riverdale because because TV is always going to do better than comics. It's just an easier medium to consume. Uh, Web comics, notwithstanding, it's also easier to just access. Um, and like, there are going to be kids who think that Archie Andrews is a selfish redheaded fuckboy um, who just like. Well, here's the difference between Batman and Archie. Children have actually read Archie comics. And I will put money down that every child or, or you know, tween or however old enough, because I wouldn't let kids watch Riverdale, but every tween that watches Riverdale and parents of tweens watching Riverdale, don't let your tweens watch Riverdale. It's too mature for them. Anyway, they've all read Archie comics. Not a lot of those kids who've seen, and I hope no kids are seeing these, these DCU Batman films. Those kids don't, don't, they couldn't find a Batman comic if you gave them $10 they'd go buy me a Batman comic. They don't know where to get them. Yep, that is uh, very true. <laughs> kids, kids read Archie comics. Kids do not yeah. read Batman comics because Daddy buys a Batman comic, puts it in a double bag, puts it in a box, and forgets about it. Archie comics you can find at grocery stores. You like, can find they're, them they're, at they're grocery stores. The only comic you can find at a grocery store now. So I, I feel like like the kids, and I use the term loosely, the kids that are watching Riverdale, they're fully aware that this is a version of these characters that does not. Uh, is not universal and does not change that Betty and Veronica digest they bought. They they yelled at mom to buy them before they went on the long car trip. No. <laughs> so obviously, I have very little to say about uh, Riverdale or Archie in general because I haven't, I didn't chime in Are, at any point you, during were that. Were uh, you not outraged 
when KJ Appa, the guy playing Archie, uh, said Vancouver was boring. Oh yeah, I was outraged. Right? Uh, like, come on! But I'm uh, very angry about that. He he he, uh, he 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 acknowledged he acknowledged that the food here was good, uh, and <laughs> like that's the most important thing to me. Overall. Well, you know who's boring? He's boring. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. Josie um, Josie is running him off his own show, man. Yeah. And and uh, that's another problem is they have Josie and the Pussycats on there, which is good, right? Uh, Josie's doing a good job. Valerie is kind of there. Melody needs to be a woman that is so distractingly attractive that men drive their cars off of the street when she walks down the street. Mm -hmm. And this Melody is not that attractive. That's what I'm saying. Melody needs to be a Dan DiCarlo attractive woman. And this Melody is not. I'm sorry, you know, full props to you, TV Melody, but you're not that hot. (laughs) I mean, if we're, yeah. That's a terrible thing to say. I had one just, qu- Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. Sorry, I'm just gonna throw out one more uh, point um, in in like opposition to uh, to Riverdale, um, I, which is just um, in the in the first like episode. Like, I hate a lot of Veronica's dialogue, but I'm just gonna throw out one line from Riverdale uh, to let people decide for themselves. Uh, this is something that Veronica says um, when uh, somebody is talking about the dichotomy between playing music and doing football, which is like a Disney Channel original plot. Veronica says, can't we in this post-James Franco era liberate ourselves from the tired jock artist dichotomy? It's like, thanks, Riverdale. We did that back in 2005. Um, sorry, I, I just... That one line still bugs me to this day. Are, are we really post James Franco? Yeah, I, I don't. We're think in the so. middle of a James. We're in the middle of a James Franco. In addition to everything else, but yeah, Ugh. that was a pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. That may be on my list. I, I had one question I wanted to throw out there before we uh, move on to Dave's third item. Um, this the 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 current Archie comic that's running. How would you compare that to um to Mark Russell's Flintstones comic? Because I loved that and it got canceled, and I'm still kind of writhing over it. I haven't read that comic. Oh, you gotta! Um, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Is it like a modernization? Sort of. Uh, you know what? Go. I do a full explanation of what it is and why it's so great in last year's Christmas special. Uh, you you can go in and, and listen to it there. It is one of the greatest satirical works to come out of the United States in a number of years. I would say. I, I think it was the best for last year for sure. Um, but anyway, well, well, uh, we can talk about that later. Uh, Dave, can we uh, get to your third item? Sure, sure, sure. So uh, you brought up Twin Peaks earlier, right? As this show is kind of a uh, you know a bargain basement Twin Peaks. Uh, there's a both Twin Peaks and Riverdale share uh, an actress, Madge and Amick plays uh, Mrs. Cooper, and she was also on Twin Peaks. Well, my third piece of 2017 media is Twin Peaks: The Return. Hey, that was one of mine too. <laughs> uh, I was not expecting. I was. I was had my eyebrows raised, and I was uh, perfectly willing to say, "Well, this is not any good." And it just totally devastated. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. I loved. Uh, I, I unabashedly loved it. I was confused by it. I was frustrated by it. Um, I was angered by it. Uh, confused again by it. 
Um, loved it. Loved every bit of it. Yeah. Well, the whole thing about Twin Peaks is that the original show was remembered for how it defied television convention well, back you know, in 1990, is, 1991. This is, this is the interesting thing about Twin Peaks and Riverdale, for that matter, is people kind of remembered Twin Peaks as being this cutesy, funny, let's have some pie and coffee, look at the Douglas firs, yeah. quirky, uh, you know, quirky, fake soap opera kind of thing. And I think that's what it turned into in the second season, which is why I quit watching the second season. And that's well, why that, when the problem with the second see... season was because yes. Lynch and Frost, yes. they were spread between too many projects and yes. things were there were just so many difficulties going on. And um, when the film Fire Walk With Me came mm-hmm. out, that is why people hated that movie, because suddenly this was what Lynch was trying to do all along. Yeah. And they didn't want any part of it. They ran screaming for yeah, and that, I, you know, uh, was like everybody else. I figured we would never, ever, ever, ever get any Twin Peaks. Here. Yeah, Fire Walk With Me was, uh, I mean, it, the movie certainly has its problems, but it was totally misinterpreted and misunderstood when it came out, I felt. Um, I mean, it, it recontextualized things in the show that, you know, in some way, in some ways weren't um, really uh, fully realizing the uh, the whole idea behind Twin Peaks in the, in the, in the best way. But I think that it definitely, um, in any faults that, may have been present with that movie are fully rectified in this new series, which is, again, it's just, it's challenging and frustrating in all the right ways. Um, and, you know, I think that anybody who's been truly, and I, I guess I can't speak for everyone, I'm speaking more for myself, but anybody who's been anticipating, like, a new season of Twin Peaks, I, I really don't think that uh, anybody who's held the torch for that long is would have been sitting there truly expecting anything conventional, especially when... Uh, Showtime was actually crazy enough to pay David Lynch to direct every single episode of the new series, which... I'm really hoping they were not hoping for cutesy uh, pie jokes. I certainly hope and... not. I, I feel bad for anybody who still... who, who was expecting that. I mean, well, it's not... I know some people were disappointed with the show. I, I You know, people were kind of... Uh, I saw some complaints about the pace and when is, you know, what is happening here? I'm confused. You know, that sort of thing. And yeah. you just have to roll with it. You just have to to sit down and let David Lynch call the shots. Exactly. That's how it. That's really how it is with every David Lynch production. Mm-hmm. Is you just have to let the master work. You know. I, th- um, I think I'm one of the the three people that saw Inland Empire in a theater, and I just enjoyed that. I mean, I don't know why I enjoyed it. It works on a level that is below or or above. Uh, you know, normal film levels, but it works, and this is what I'm talking about. It works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if you've if you've only seen the original Twin Peaks, it it's definitely advisable to go and le- watch at least one other uh, Lynch film before jumping into the third season because it can kind of it, it prepares you for things like the really oddly drawn out scenes or characters that are kind of haphazardly introduced and then sort of disappear. Um, which that, that's I think one of the most that's one of the more controversial aspects of the way the way Lynch handles things. There's a um. Uh, what's the term I'm I'm thinking of? Uh, uh, a real stream of consciousness kind of it's, approach. It's a dream. To, there's a dream yeah. logic. There's a yeah. dream logic that is you see people try to capture in in fictional media, you know, a lot, and most people fail. And he is tapped into whatever it is in his brain that allows him to drop this stuff down. He's got a, a natural feel for it. Yeah. And it plays on expectations so well, and, and not always in a way that I think is trying to disappoint anyone who was expecting, you know, coffee and, and cherry pie and, and whatnot. Um, I mean, you, you you have so so many subplots going on in the show. Very few of them, actually, very few of them get any kind of what you call satisfying conventional resolution, um, especially in... Uh, not to spoil anything, but especially in the case of one particularly uh, beloved character whose arc comes up late and then 
cuts off right uh, in the middle of a of a of a huge development. Um, but it's and and you know it just there's leave no... the house. Just put your coat on and leave the house. Um, and it like it it, it just completely stops and it's hard not to be completely frustrated by that and oh, or even infuriated is, by that that it that it's just not brought up in the in the final couple of episodes but what's brilliant is, is that is, is, it's a feature not a bug is what yeah it it forces you to go back and reevaluate everything that had happened with that character and, and the subtle ways that it ties in with the um with with other uh with other yes. characters and thematic developments in the show and you see there's a lot of very strange things that are subtly going on in the background that you will not notice on a on a passive viewing and i have to say i'm really impressed by the analysis that has gone on with this show um it it's it's almost kind of inspiring that the fan base has been able to delve so deeply and and uncover so many things like there's you know all the strange things going on in the in the in the roadhouse or in the double r diner and how it really caught forces you to go back and reinterpret everything and there's all this talk of of uh like alternate timelines or alternate dimensions happening concurrently i'm not really sure how much of a basis there is for the idea that that take it that far um but it's it's a like devastatingly complex work and it's uh and, and it i i think it absolutely accomplishes everything D- david lynch and mark frost have definitely painted their full picture i think which they had never been able to do in the original series and in the film um i mean for uh, at first view it seems incomplete but when you go back and go back and forth and analyze things and put pieces together never nothing's gonna fit completely but there's kind of no end to the the interpretations or uh depth that you can get into things let me let me uh, drop this this bit of uh david lynch uh, stuff on you Mm -hmm. so we rented some films and and my wife had never seen dune uh david lynch's dune and uh hadn't seen i had never seen the elephant man so we we watched the elephant man and then we watched dune and the closing shot and you know the he made the elephant man and and he made the Elephant Man, and then he made Dune, and then he made Blue Velvet. So the the closing shot of the Elephant Man matches the opening shot of Dune, and ah. the closing shot of Dune matches the opening shot of Blue Velvet, and the closing shot. That I'm just saying, I'm just putting this out here, guys. <laughs> he matches his shots from one project to the next. He's playing a lo- well. He's playing a long game. He That's is. That's what I'm saying here. There's, he's there's a long game. There's stuff in, in the in the new Twin Peaks series that ties directly into Mulholland Drive thematically. Yeah. There are even out. convincing arguments that they're in the same universe, but it, with David Lynch, that's sure. kind of not even important. Could but, be. Um, yeah. Laura Dern delivers uh, again an amazing performance. Oh, she's so good. <laughs> she's terrific in this, and I'm really looking forward because, like, what two weeks we get to go see her in Star Wars, right? So yes. Uh, Looking forward to that. Yeah. She's great. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin is terrific. He's absolutely frightening as, as Dark Coop or uh, whatever you want to call him. I don't know. Mi- Mr. Was, C is the, uh, Mr. C. Is the term they fell so, on. Yeah. So back in the 70s, Karen Black was in this made-for-TV movie called Trilogy of Terror, in which uh, she's menaced by this horrifying little uh, voodoo doll that comes to life, right? So Dark Coop looks like that voodoo doll. He's got this horrifying pinched face. He's got a lot of black hair. He's a lot of teeth, and he's really deadly. So, uh, really enjoyed that. I, I, every time he's on screen, uh, even as Dougie, I don't know how many Americans in Alabama are going to be listening to this podcast. But if you're in Alabama, I want you to go out uh, in December and vote for Doug Jones. Give Dougie your vote 
because Dougie needs your vote. Thank you. This has been a paid political broadcast. Probably not many uh, people, but I'm, uh, I, I heartily endorse that message. That's one of the few good things about 2017 is that we have a political candidate named Doug, Doug Jones. Just like Twin Peter. Uh, Jeff, I think we should probably move on to uh, to your picks. Can you, uh, would you like to begin? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously I've watched a little bit more anime uh, over the last year than you guys have because I have to watch everything. And I'm not, you know, that's not like a brag. That is a curse that I must deal with. Um, so there's going to be, there's going to be anime on this list, uh, unsurprisingly. Um, but I'd like to start with a feature film. Um, that really hit me. Uh, I'm going to do one anime, one game, one feature film, um, just to balance things out. Um, and I really, part of me wants to talk about Baby Baby Driver, because um, I think that it's just like the most perfect editing job that Edgar Wright has ever done. Um, and it's, it's just an amazing movie, and I highly recommend anybody who hasn't seen Baby Driver watch Baby Driver like right now. But the movie that most affected me this year... Uh, coming from a place of like longtime fandom and and just deep respect for a character who has finally gotten their due in cinema for the first time in over a decade spider-man homecoming um was was everything that i hoped it would be and more um i mean we, like if you're a spider-man fan you have seen your favorite character get uh brutalized by hollywood uh ever since roughly spider-man 3 I, Sam Raimi tried to to protect him uh, from the Sony machine, uh, but they just had to get Venom in there and had to ruin the, that whole movie. Um, and then, of course, Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man Two are about as far from amazing as you can get. To the point that they even get like Spider-Man's motivation um, completely wrong. Like making making Spider-Man's whole motivation about getting revenge for Uncle Ben completely undercuts. The fact that, like, he immediately finds the guy who killed his uncle and then realizes it's his fault. It's all about guilt. I don't know. I, I Spider-Man on film has been bad for a really long time. And to come back and just have, like, a Spider-Man um, who is motivated by a desire to do more for everyone around him, even when he's not necessarily capable of actually helping and may, in fact, only make things worse, to have a Spider-Man who, instead of being snarky because he's, like, a cool, hip teenager, is snarky because he's, like, scared shitless of the people he's dealing with and is trying to, like, mask that with sardonic humor. Um, having a Spider-Man movie that's just, like, well-filmed and feels like a teenage coming-of-age story, which is what Spider-Man originally was, while still being, like, a good superhero movie with good action and good plot twists... It, I was just really satisfied with it across the board as a Spider-Man fan and also as a film goer. Um, and I mean, like, obviously Marvel is dominating the the film discussion uh, and, like, the film industry right now. Uh, and I really like Thor as well. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy I thought was pretty good. I, I was um, surprised at how good Gal Guardians of the Galaxy Part Two was. I was I was yeah. expecting uh, like two hours of annoying quipping, uh, but mm -hmm. it was. It, I thought it was one of the the best MCU movies. It was uh, really well executed. Uh, yeah. See, I was kind of underwhelmed by Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. 
Hmm. Yeah, I felt it was two hours of quips, basically. Oh, okay. I, well, maybe, maybe, maybe like my quip expectations were in a different place than yours, perhaps. No, I will say the Spider-Man film, if you want to talk about a film that really gets what it's like to be in high school, that film mm-hmm. gets it. That is what it's like to be in high school. Yeah, no, it, it, it like perfectly – I mean, obviously it's cribbing a lot from like uh, – indie darling movies of the last decade like um uh anything written by diablo cody um you, you know what i'm talking about the the i'm um, the juno knockoffs that have yeah. been coming out since juno i know um, i know uh, what you mean i mean i mean that's kind of vaguely what they've been going for i mean i mean that's why, why they tapped mark webb to direct the uh, exactly. amazing films but 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 he did a bad like the thing is that they tapped Mark Webb to do that yeah. and they didn't tell him to do that <laughs> so he ended up doing a very very poor man's knockoff of of Iron Man um, whereas with this they've actually like nailed that style what I really like about the MCU in general is that they're really good at understanding that superhero isn't a genre in itself it's an umbrella of a certain type of character as the protagonist of many different genres so ant-man is a competent heist film with a shitty villain but you know um like like ant-man but yellow is not a great memorable villain but on the other hand like like thor especially thor ragnarok but um, Thor 1 captured it. Thor 2 kind of lost it a little. Thor is like one of those 80s hero from another world comes to Earth fantasy movies. Um, and then Thor Ragnarok is hero travels this fantasy realm movie. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy is like a road trip mi- mixed with like a Star Wars style space opera. But with like, you know, a bit of humor. Um, and then... Iron Man is sort of like a, a a very, very light war drama. Like, all of them bring in different aspects of different genres while making it feel like a cohesive universe. And in this case, the genre just happens to be kitschy team film. Um, and there's some really good cuts and edits that would not feel out of place in an art house film. There's some that feel like, you know, generic shot, reverse shot, make a movie as fast as possible filmmaking. Um, but... I, 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 it just feels Spider-Man in a way that that uh, Amazing didn't, and that uh, the Sam Raimi films, while they did feel Spider-Man, they felt '60s Spider-Man. They felt like the TV show Spider-Man, um, and that's cool. That is like a fun and exciting thing. But it's really nice to have like Ultimate Era teenage Peter Parker in a movie because that's my favorite version of the character is the ultimate spider-man universe um just having that character exist on film and be everything that i wanted him to be but with a hotter aunt (laughs) well you know marissa tomei it's oscar bait right i mean you know got a good track record it's it's bait for a lot of things man i I did want to chime in i just want to say i am uh i am eternally sour over the cancellation of the spectacular spider-man cartoon back in 2009 and for yeah. that for that reason, I still have never watched any Spider-Man <laughs> production since then. I, I've basically washed my hands of, of Spider-Man. I never I never actually watched the Amazing films, and every, I tried. I tried to watch those. Every, everything that I have heard about uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming and everything I've seen from uh, the portrayal of Peter Parker in because I did I did see uh, Captain America: Civil War. Um, they, they seem to have nailed the character, and I, I quite admire a, a number of touches they, they put on to 
sort of modernize what uh, what Lee and Ditko were trying to do with the character back in the 1960s uh, in, in a way that I think is probably a little more relatable now. Um, they, they certainly have nailed all the essential parts of the character from from mm-hmm. for just from everything I've gathered. Um, I still can't bring myself to watch it just because. No, 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 no. You I, I'm, so, it. I'm so, you should, you I'm just, so bitter. I'm so bitter. Listen, it's <laughs> it's first off, it's a film that New York is a character front and center, and I have yes. a real soft spot yeah. for taking you know the train to Queens or whatever because I, I love that stuff. Uh, it nails the high school stuff. Um, Michael Keaton is great. Um, guy playing Spider Man, whose name I cannot recall. He's great. Tom it's Holland. A, Tom Holland. Tom Holland. He's terrific. He's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little too ripped, but he's really good. He's super ripped. What's like these guys? They're all gym rats now. Anyway, uh, everybody in the film is good. My only quibble with it was that it's a little long. Mm-hmm. It needed. I, I don't know what you're going to take out of it because there's a lot happening in that film, but it is a little long. But I did. Yeah. You know, I I feel like maybe there's a Washington D.C. thing that didn't. I don't know where that kind. I mean, I know it's got to happen, but you know, I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not a film guy, but mm-hmm. I'm not a technician. But I, I did enjoy it. Um, what I liked about it, and, and this is what I, I don't want to spoil anything here, but you know, he fights the guy and this is a Marvel, you know, Marvel film. So bad guys generally, they die. Like there's not mm-hmm. a lot of repeating villains in these films because bad things happen to the villains. It's not like Dr. Doom going to come back here, but he say, he goes out of his way. He's like, no, I'm going to save this guy. I, cause, yeah. because they get the idea that these are superheroes mm-hmm. who have to do heroic things. They can't mm-hmm. just... I'm big and strong. That makes me a superhero. No, 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 no. What makes you a hero, if I may go back to a One Punch Man, speaking of anime, is you risk yourself to for others. You do heroic things. And that's what being a hero is. Yeah. Like Moomin um, Rider in One Punch Man. He's got no he's, superpowers, but he's out there helping people, risking his life to help people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Saitama is risking something, He too, is risking. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he has to go... He has to work hard <laughs> to mm-hmm. find that risk. But I, yeah, I did enjoy... I, he, uh, I, I did enjoy Spider-Man. did like it. I, I do think yeah. that Spider-Man is a lot... Work, like, works better uh, when he's disconnected from the, the greater Marvel Universe. Um, he can come in, yeah, he should come yeah. in every once in a yeah. while, but then he's got to be off doing his own thing. Yeah, but that, that... yeah no, I, I I agree that he's at his best when he's dealing with small problem queens, which is what this movie was, yeah. as opposed to when he's, um, like, trying to save the world, which is kind of what uh, Spider-Man 3 got into, definitely what the Amazing Spider-Man's spider-man movies got into is just like the whole of new york is gonna turn into lizards that it, I, I, lo- I i checked out of that film when they went to the secret underground laboratory and i'm just like uh, what does he put uh, no turned it off the, something else. the extent of uh what i think a spider-man like existential threat in his own movie should be is uh doc ock is about to accidentally nuke downtown new york um like not doc ock's if doc ock's reactor was going to wipe out half of the eastern seaboard at that point you call the fucking avenger right mm-hmm. um which is yeah it's going to be a new york size problem it's not a, a, a eastern seaboard size problem it is a new york problem and i I do think that that Marvel has gotten a lot better at like segmenting what villains are threatening what in their films. Um, like like at the beginning, I don't think that there was like a real measurable difference in the threat that um, say uh, uh, Loki posed in the Avengers, aside from bringing in the aliens, versus Loki just on his own as a villain in Thor. 
Um, the villains were kind of meh across the board, but um, I think that as the the plots have moved forward and they've started being like. Ant-Man's villain was sucky, but Ant-Man's conflict being mostly about this guy who doesn't want to be a criminal and doesn't want to steal things anymore, having to break into a place and steal some stuff, uh, is, like, personal and interesting. Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy thing, while both times they have fought, like, an existential threat to the universe, it's been so far away from the Avengers that the Avengers couldn't come in to help. Um, and then... And then Doctor Strange goes off to, like, another plane of existence to fight an elder god that none of the Avengers really have any concept of. Um, so, like, they haven't used up their Thanos tier threats on... I, I feel uh, like you need to keep that kind of stuff really separate from each other. Because yeah. once you try to, to stick it all together, none of it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Just let Doctor Strange fight Dormammu often uh i forget the name of whatever plane of existence that is and that's a thing he does that's what he does you know spider-man is an, and i'll age myself here but back in the 70s they released some novels of spider-man or marvel superhero novels and there's a, the spider-man novel he is sneaking into some sort of a a secret meeting of a bunch of executives and it turns out they're oil company executives who are being blackmailed and spider-man is thinking to himself what do i care about these guys i don't even have a car <laughs> Let him get screwed. I don't care. I'm a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. They they probably deserve to get ripped off. You know, they're oil companies. And then it turns out it's Doctor Octopus. But you know, that's that's uh, that's his attitude. Is I live in New York. I don't have a car. This is somebody else's problem. Looking at Spider-Man as part of the MCU, the, the thing is that the scale of uh, at which that character is supposed to work and his villains are supposed to work, it's really more suitable for one of those Netflix shows. That uh, that they deal yeah. with more of the street level crime, but the problem is that Spider Man is like he requires too high of a budget and is uh, <laughs> has a notoriety that's far too high to be confined to that. At least with the way that uh, the Marvel uh, Marvel is approaching things and with with, uh, with movies and, and TV shows right now, so he has to get dragged into all this uh, intergalactic stuff that's going to be happening in, in upcoming of movies, course. and that makes me a little skeptical of where they're going to take that character uh, moving forward, because if he's going to be in, like, Infinity War, um, I mean, how do you go back to, you know, just having uh, having him have a uh, um, interpersonal conflict with Norman Osborn or something like that? Well, that just, it's harder challenge. to swallow, yeah. Because, because that's a thing that they have to tackle as a group, and then it comes back to a thing that he can take care of alone. I'll tell you what um, they'll do. They're going to wipe his memory and he'll have no memory of it. <laughs> I think that just the they have to bring the Avengers together to deal with this is enough to create that separation. Compared to the DCU, where really, is there a fundamental difference in power level and threat posed by Ares compared to the threat posed by Steppenwolf? Look, that's, or the a, threat that's a question for the software engineers. Yeah. Also Man. worth noting, like, Spider-Man should never be an Avenger, because the Avengers are supposed to be the characters whose comics would not sell individually, so they had to put them together in one group. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's why. Yeah. But now they... I, I, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I want to move on from Spider-Man, because yes. I, I, I got a couple more things. Yeah. My second uh, media of 2016 um, is not necessarily a media but a platform which is the nintendo switch um hey i, I just have, got one of those <sighs> i have been I've, i i think that the ability to jump into tv and and handheld is so nice the ability to take like a console quality platformer like mario odyssey 
or adventure game like Zelda, or now RPG like Xenoblade Chronicles 2, on the go with me wherever I go, is so refreshing and so nice um, that it just, it's just amazing. The ability to take Mario Odyssey into the bathroom with me when I go to poop <laughs> is just, it's life-changing. Um, but, but like, in addition to that, it feels like Nintendo's finally, like, figured out their design identity, which had kind of been fluctuating in the Wii and Wii U era. Um, and now they've figured out that people, like, like people come to Nintendo for mechanically deep games that are accessible if you're just, like, a kid and you just want to have fun with, like, a colorful, cartoony thing for a while. And, and rich and, and challenging enough that if you really want to push yourself, uh, you can have one of the toughest gaming challenges of your life with, like, a few frame-perfect inputs that would not be out of place in, like, a speedrun uh, going in towards 100% completion. Um, and there's just, I, I've 100%ed two Nintendo games this year, and I don't 100% video games at all, like, ever, but just the way that, that challenges scale somewhat in Zelda, Zelda's a little flawed in that respect, and I'm never ever gonna get all the Korok seeds, but the way that, that, say, the challenge up to fighting a Lionel scales is really, really entertaining, and on the flip side, the way that Mario scales up from being, like, easier than Mario 64 to harder than a Mario 64 speedrun towards the end of its its uh, endgame content um, is, is really uh, satisfying and engaging. And ne I'm never left feeling in these Nintendo games like I've seen enough of the game to be like, yeah, I get it, I can put it down. And that's uh, really impressive. Um, so just on the software front and the hardware front, I think they've been nailing it. Uh, and I think that it's it's going to be like a real shakeup to the the way we play video games and the way the industry operates um, that we ha that we haven't had since the Wii. The way you're describing this, it sounds to me like the way we try to describe sort of a like a Studio Ghibli film, and that it can be enjoyed by children and it's deep enough to be enjoyed by adults. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and it's it's just like that, but on an executional level, yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah, to a, yeah. a narrative level. Yeah. Although I expect I haven't gotten into Xenoblade Chronicles two yet, but just based on all of the past Xeno games, I fully expect that that will be a very enjoyable JRPG for someone who doesn't want to think about it and a very, very deep dive into Nietzschean philosophy for somebody who does. Um, and apparently, that's what they lots, always are. And apparently lots of anime titties, too. Uh, that's, I, everybody loves anime titties. Yeah. Um, and on that note, my third piece of media... <laughs> uh, that's a good segue. That, that is a good segue. Yeah. That's a, my third piece of media for the year is Aeromanga Sensei. No, no. Um, I, I, I wish I had the, the... I wish I cared enough to, to make that the top pick no um my my thing that really grabbed me this year um i always find at least one anime a year usually two to three because there's so many of these days that just like grabs me and really speaks to me last year it was mob psycho 100 and rakugo uh this year rakugo is definitely hitting that and made an abyss but the the most the most profound anime that i've watched so far this year is something called recreators um I, I don't know if either of you have like seen it. Yeah, I I followed the show. Okay. Um to the end. It, I watched the whole thing. It's an anime strike 
uh, property, which makes it a little harder for some people to watch. Um, it's, it's an Amazon I'm, Prime property in Canada, though. Yeah, so, only yeah. Amazon Prime in Canada. You're yep, right. Yeah. Um, and it's it's sort of like a reverse take on the isekai genre. Is like the basic pitch, um, which is characters coming from another world to ours. Uh, another basic pitch would be it's it's fate. It is a fate style battle royale series, but instead of historical figures, it's fictional characters from popular anime, manga, and video games within that world. Um, but the thing is that it's not really a battle royale series at all. It's actually like a very involved and personal rumination on what it means to create, uh, what it means to consume art. Um, and the, uh, on like a broader level, the challenges of grappling with the knowledge that from the creations perspective, that your God is either dead or just a man. Um, and that your life really has no grand purpose behind it. Uh, so it ends up being like on, uh, there's three levels to it. On one level, it's a fun uh, action romp that's maybe a little too heavy on talking and light on action for uh, some people's tastes. Although when the action comes, it's super high budget and fun. Uh, on like a secondary level, it's about like what it means to make art and, and why we do it and uh, the challenges that go into that, um, which is reflected in one of, one of my favorite introductions to a character ever, which is the main character comes home, sits down at his computer, opens up Photoshop with his tablet, then goes over to Pixiv for a little, browse for, browses for a bit to get inspiration, comes back to Photoshop, stares at it for another 10 minutes, puts it down and watches anime, um, <laughs> which is <laughs> like like the... Little too the, painfully true. It, it's it's creative on we on film perfectly captured. But then on like this third deeper level, it's really like a very intricate debate uh, between different positions on nihilism. Uh, I'm working on a video about this right now. Um, but like the main villain is basically a Joker style or not even Joker, just like um, uh, an absolute nihilist and an absolute negative and destructive nihilist in that they believe that there is no worth in the world and that because people suffer, it just makes more sense to destroy everything. Uh, the sort of intermediary villain is a hedonist, like the Joker, who's just like, I'm going to do whatever I want to entertain myself because nothing matters. And then on the flip side... Um, the heroes are all about the idea of, well, nothing has any inherent meaning or value, so let us create something of our own and find our own meaning and value in life. Um, and it's like all of these different positions sort of combating each other uh, and being whittled down one by one in order to prove the validity of one sort of like a, a, a Socratic dialogue with more explosions. Um, this is like a 12-pack of beer uh, in the dorms at a college, uh, junior dorms at a college, about one o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of conversation that you have. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, uh, the show reminded me, just in the way that it engages with the creative process, it reminded me a lot of Eight and a Half, um, which is, you know, I, I always really admired that movie for the way that it dealt with the subject matter. Of course, this does it in an entirely different way. Um, and I know this is kind of the bargain bin criticism, but man, they like I don't have any problem with the way the story unfolded uh, or the themes unfolded in the series. But 
man, like they could have done it with about one third the exposition. I mean, I, I I like Meteora and everything, but it really seemed they were leaning a little too hard on, hey, let's this is the exposition character from a game. Wouldn't it be funny if she delivered all this exposition to this show we're doing, which is you know totally not a thing you'd see in any other anime. <laughs> well, I. I mean, I, I do know that a lot of people are like, they don't like Meteora, and it that does that's like a common thing I've heard, because I've been championing this show online for a while. Um, they, they fall back and, on her too much. She is a, she is a crutch, they, they, at times at least. I don't see what she's doing as exposition, is the thing, because she's never like filling you in on backstory details. No. Uh, all of all of like the relevant backstory is is delivered through showing and storytelling. It's just like her role and a lot of the other characters' ultimate role is to like discuss the concepts of the show and to like figure out the exact metaphysical mechanics behind these characters coming to life. I, and that's I don't think that's exposition because it, it a lot of the show is about exploring and experimenting with different possibilities to find answers yeah. it, it, um, it it didn't bother me when it's used in that in in that uh in that dimension but it always bothered me when they used it to supplement action that was actually going on uh at the time of of uh of the dis- or, or when they were giving additional description to what you could already see going on on screen i felt there were a lot of sequences especially near the end that could have been conveyed almost entirely through visuals but it had a lot of exposition or or rather description and talking that really kind of dragged it down for me or maybe maybe that's more of a pacing issue yeah i mean i can i can under like i can understand the Mm -hmm. perspective or that that perspective i just it did not bother me at all yeah yeah but then i'm i'm somebody who like really really enjoys it when uh the major and bato uh, take a five minute break to just like sit down and like be like, well, what if this means this? And actually, a standalone complex is above, above, and they and just like talking about the the meaning and ideas behind what's happening in the story. Um, I really like that in Ghost in the Shell because um, I, I I don't know. I it allows for uh, it allows for for just a more intricate discussion of what's going on, and I also think that specifically with the um the philosophical underpinnings of the show there is enough going on with it that is not said at all that is just like demonstrated through how characters interact with each other and how conflicts are resolved and everything that's not explicitly said that i don't think you can accuse the show of telling rather than showing i just think that it is so information dense that um it just it 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 can't it can feel like they're talking too much, um, but like having watched through it one and a half times now, um, I don't know. It it doesn't bother me that way, and I, I actually like the way yeah. it's executed. Well, I, I mean, I still love the series a lot. I'd probably watch it again, even. But mm-hmm. I don't, it's not that they were they're, they were telling rather than showing, but I just felt there was a lot of simultaneous showing and telling. I don't know. I'm I, I'm, I'm kind of nit- I'm being kind of nitpicky here, honestly. I, I love the show. That's but yeah yeah that's that's I, I mean it's fair i like i know there's people who really dislike it because of that and i'm not like i might be a little bit defensive because i was really really pushing for this show and people gave me a lot of blowback for that um but like i there's there's just something about it that is really incredible to me which is that it's like 
a super deeply personal take on creativity from Ray Hiraway, who's the writer of that show and also Black Lagoon. And yeah, he, cl- a- he, cl- he clearly has some hangups about, you know, writing Black Lagoon. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, so there's, there's like, there's a lot of really personal stuff that he and A. Aoki, the director, put into it. I also think it's it's like Hiroaki uh, or Hiroyuki Sawano's best soundtrack ever, which is you know a lot of competition for that, but um, oh, it's real good. And I don't know, I, I it just speaks to me on a lot of levels. Yeah, well, that's what you want, I think. You yeah. know, you yeah, know, I definitely Sorry. yeah, uh, Recreator is definitely one of the best best anime TV shows of the year. I I wholeheartedly agree with that with that pick. Mm. Uh, I, I I appreciate the vote of confidence, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just if 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 nothing else, maybe I like the show too much just because it's like it hits on a bunch of stuff that that like resonates with me. But I don't know. It's 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 one of the smartest and most dense to unpack TV shows I've seen in a while. And it's a guy who analyzes anime for a living. Obviously, that's something I really enjoy. Yeah. And you don't see that very often with anime original shows that don't have any uh, any prior source material that they're drawing from. Yeah, the last one that, like, I can think of um, that hit that kind of, like, density and, and, uh, and uh, personal... Ex- level of personal expression would be like Anohana, mm. um, and then you, you know you got to go back to Evangelion uh, to yeah. It, it's it's very rare. Yeah. It's very rare. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I guess we'll just wrap wrap up with uh, with my picks, and I I won't take too long with them unless uh, you guys have a lot to intervene on my weird choices. Uh, we already covered Twin Peaks, which is my first one. Um, th- the second pick I wanted to give uh, it's a an obs- pretty obscure show. It's called The Nadoes of Duquesne Island. I don't know if either of you have heard of it. It's no, a no. Uh, it's a short CBC series. It was created by and starring Aaron Schroeder, who I had never heard of before looking into this, and I didn't even know who he was till the very end because you don't actually get a real uh, credit role until the final episode. They just have uh, um, weird su- uh, pseudonyms that uh, that the, the staff uses up until that point. It's a mockumentary series. It's about ten episodes long. Each episode is about five to ten minutes, um, and with stunning accuracy, it is made to look like a CBC television documentary from the 1970s. It oh my reminded God. me, yeah, it reminded me a lot of Look Around You. I don't know if you guys have seen Look Around You. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, that, yeah, yeah the, the Peter Serafinowitz uh, BBC series from about ten years ago that parodied old British educational programming. It's you know, it's not quite on the level of. Uh, of uh, surrealism that you saw in that show, but it it, it follows a similar um, uh, a similar kind of approach. It, so, it, if as somebody who grew up on National Film Board stuff and hinterland <laughs> oh. who's who and stuff like that, is this going to appeal to me? But it is bullseye, uh, right? <laughs> uh, it, is, it is a perfect bullseye into that kind of material. It, basically, it focuses on a family that lives on a small island that is more or less isolated from modern society, and they have a lot of bizarre obsessions and rituals surrounding potatoes. Um, they play a really strange homemade board game called Rum Biggersman. Um, they have, like, impenetrable accents. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of the best jokes, because um, if you watch... The, you can watch the show either on the watch on the CBC app or watchcbc.com. They're also on YouTube, but I recommend the CBC app version because they actually subtitle all the dialogue the youtube version does not have those subtitles and one you need that to understand what they're saying a lot of the time and two they do, they have a lot of fun with it like there's some sequences where they just arbitrarily uh 
choose to designate some dialogue as being unintelligible. Um, it's just it's just funny to see that pop up at certain parts because like, can you really not tell what they were saying any better <laughs> any more in that part than you could in this part? Uh, but and also the show features two actresses in their thirties who are playing these twins who I'm pretty sure are actually supposed to be about nine years old. <laughs> so it's it's a lot of stuff like that. Um, and I the, the fact that CBC produced this hilarious retro themed, very postmodern, subversive mockumentary series, and it completely flew under my radar when it first came out um, in early June, I think speaks very poorly for their attempts to actually promote it and get it out there. Um, and a, a, I think a big reason for that was because they chose to release this series under their online CBC comedy brand. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen a lot of the CBC comedy stuff pop up on, on social media, but um, I tend to instinctively ignore it. And I think a lot of other people do as well, because usually they're they're trying to like riff on the or do the same kind of shtick as the Onion or the Beaverton, but they do it very very badly. And it's definitely questionable that you know a public broadcaster would even need to have a component like that. Um, uh, but uh, they released the series mainly under under that banner, and I didn't even bother to check it out until a friend of mine uh, pointed it out to me, and he said, "This is like the you gotta see this. This is the weirdest shit CBC has made this year." And I, I can confirm that it is. And the best part. Uh, about this is that uh, they actually managed to dupe a bunch of redditors on r slash documentary into thinking that it was an actual documentary um yeah there's a whole i can i can i'll I'll post a link to the thread it's it's really funny um colin mockery actually does the narration of it he's actually the only name that uh that you see accurately credited in every episode. Everyone else is a pseudonym. But they actually, a lot of the people, they're actually bought into the idea that he uh, did the narration for this when he was 16, even though he's <laughs> clearly doing a very old man voice <laughs> when, he's, when he's doing it. And just that just, just the fact that they, they bought into it just really reminds me of when I like to tell people that things like, like how Tales from North Hills High and Ursula's Kiss aired on YTV back in the late 90s. Uh, because like, just for a split second, it's like, hey, maybe, maybe they'll think that that's true. And sometimes they do. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I highly recommend that show. I think that, uh, it, it is evidence that CBC really can make this great subversive, you know, adult swim or, or channel four, uh, style programming. Um, I really like to see them doing more of this stuff, but you know, they, they can make it, but they just can't execute or it's hard. Or yeah. Sell it's hard it to, to convince. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just, they don't have a proper platform for it. They gotta, they need to figure that out. And I, uh, you I, know, I hope... it, it sounds uh, reminiscent of the IFC show documentary now. Yeah. Yeah. It I, is. I uh, uh, it, I, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed the living shit out of that. Mm -hmm. Oh I, my God. I, that was so good. I will say that there's like nothing there, there, if there's one thing you can say for almost any of the public broadcasters, it's that, when they do get around to parodying themselves, there's nobody better at doing it. Oh yeah, for um, sure. Like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Is is the most perfect send up of everything, both wrong and right, with uh, Channel Four and the BBC. When you brought um, up pseudonyms, I was thinking, well, obviously this is going to be something like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yeah, yeah, it, and it, and it's in yeah, it's in I, that same category for sure. By the way, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and you have any love for, like, uh, uh, Richard Ayaude, um, uh, if you've seen, like, his, his more recent stuff, like, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Thor and, or, sorry, no, I am swapping out somebody else. So the guy who did, 
Well, he was in the he, IT, I, the IT, IT crowd, and and um, yeah, for a second there, my my brain was like switching him out with the guy who who played who directed Thor Ragnarok and is also part of the Flight of the Concords guys. Yeah, but yeah, uh, um. Richard uh, Ayaude, uh like his his stuff on IT Crowd and um, his other like like recent things. Um, he's just such a fantastic actor and a fantastic director. And if you enjoyed him in Neo Yokio, you are going to love the ever loving hell out of uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Oh yeah, 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 one hundred percent. So yeah, what's the name of this Canadian thing, by the oh, way? It's, so it's called uh, The Nadoes of Duquesne Island. You will not understand the spelling uh, based on the way it's pronounced. Um, I will, I'll, I'll post, I'll write it out and, and post you a link later and, and you can do, check it yeah. out. But uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, so just to quickly wrap it up, my, my third pick is a movie that actually got a, a fair bit of buzz um, or at least a lot of, a lot of advertising uh, early in the year. Or I got a lot of publicity, but after it came out, not a lot of people were talking about it, and I don't think it's been getting the amount of attention that it deserved. Um, it's called Colossal. Uh, it was a movie directed by uh, Nacho Vigalando. He was the he directed the second VHS movie and the the A segment in the first ABCs of Death. So he's mostly specializes in uh, in horror. Uh, the less you know about this movie going in, the better. Uh, but chances are you've heard of it. Uh, it's it's that Anne Hathaway uh, kaiju film going back to kaiju uh, from earlier. From earlier in the show, uh, did 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 either of you guys hear this movie at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the trailer yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. So it it, came, it was really it was pretty under the radar when it came out, despite um despite getting a fair bit of publicity. Um, so basically, Anne Hathaway plays a woman struggling with alcoholism, and she loses her job. She moves back to her her small hometown. Uh, she tries to reforge social connections and struggles to get back on her feet. Uh, and while doing so, she discovers that she has become somehow psychically linked to a giant monster that is attacking Seoul, Korea. Uh, I won't I won't say much more about the plot because you you really want to discover the true depth of this movie um, uh, as as you watch it for sure. I you know I was excited to see the movie because I'm a fan of Anne Hathaway and of giant monsters, so combining them together seemed like an easy sell to me. Um, and I was I was worried that the premise of this film uh, wasn't going to be enough to sustain it for a whole you know feature length story. Um, and I was very wrong. They it goes to places. Well, it, it shows a great amount of creativity in the way it executes the the basic concept, and it also goes to places you really don't expect it to. Um, and it has all the makings of a really truly great dark comedy, and it goes much darker than I think anybody would expect it to, <laughs> as well. Um, and I can show you, it is much darker and more scathing than you might expect. But it's still very much a comedy, and it stays grounded in that, and that's how it succeeds the best. Um, but I, I should point out that two years ago, uh, Anne Hathaway mentioned that her next major project was going to explore toxic masculinity and the the danger of um, of negative male energy as, as an influence in uh, in careers and social social life and, and everything like that. And I was shocked to discover that uh, while watching the movie, that this is the project she was talking about. Um, th those themes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess that's a little bit of a spoiler right now, but those, those, uh, those themes emerge. You don't see them coming, um, but it's, it's done in a really gripping way. And also the, the ending of this film is, is perfect. Even if it kind of loses you after, after, after a certain point, um, 
everything the the ending is so incredibly satisfying with the way everything comes together and kind of gets flipped around i i have a difficult time imagining anybody being disappointed with uh the note it ends on um also uh, jason sudeikis is in the film he plays another major character and i i won't spoil his role but uh he is part of the big shocking surprise uh in, in this film and he does a, a really great job um i won't say much more but i uh, i i don't think this film has been getting enough attention i think that if more people I don't know if a lot of people went to see it or if it's just because they it, it I, went against their expectations so hard. The um, trailers made it seem to be a comedy, you know, about Anne Hathaway controlling a giant monster. Yeah. It's a comedy. Yeah, and it, it is a comedy, but... I think you know. people don't have the faith, and I'm one of those people, they don't have the faith that this can be... Uh, you can get a solid comedy film out of this premise. Yeah, it... It, and you're telling me that it, they do. So that's they, oh, good, they do. That's good I, to hear. That's good. That, to hear. That, it was my big. It was my big reservation. And uh, like maybe the trailer needs to say, "We swear to God, this is funny." <laughs> I yeah. I the impression that I kind of got from it was like that it wouldn't be that funny, and that it'd just be like an artsy fartsy uh, take on on alcoholism. So I am I am glad. I'm more excited about it now, hearing you mm-hmm. talk about yeah. it, than I was seeing the trailers because they just made it look boring. They should know. have you cut those trailers. Yeah. Well, the thing is that you like like I mentioned, you can't reveal too much about this film uh, without kind of spoiling it. I'm kind of glad. I'm, in a way, I'm glad the trailers held back to the degree that they did. Um, but you know, at the same time as as you confirmed, they they, they it kind of needed a little more, I think, to get people. To, to maybe spark interest in people, and they did not succeed in doing that. Um, nonetheless, the movie is on Netflix in Canada now because it's on uh, yeah, Mongol Media. Yeah. So uh, anybody, you can go watch it because I'm assuming you all have Netflix, uh, and I and I highly recommend that you do. I think um, you know it it might not work perfectly for everyone, but I think if if any of the aspects of these these films even remotely uh, intrigue you, uh, you'll probably get something out of it for sure, and pr- you, you might even get a little so- more out of it than you'd expect. I guess the the real question is uh, we we all know it's Anne Hathaway in a film, so she has to cry. How much does she cry in this film? She uh, she has cried more in films than in this, but uh... so we're we're at like a, a <laughs> medium light to medium cry level. I'd put it on a seven point five on the the Anne Hathaway crying scale. Okay, uh, so that's uh, that's everything I've got. Um, before we wrap up, did you guys have any uh, any fun plans for the holidays? I'm going to drive down to Atlanta, Georgia, and reenact Baby Driver. Ooh. No, actually, I'm, I'm from. I have. I haven't actually seen Baby Driver, but everyone's like, "Dave, you got to see it. You're from Atlanta. You got to see it." So, you know, I intend to, and I did fully intend to see Baby Driver. And this whole Kevin Spacey thing came out, and I got a little. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm kind. I'm kind of glad I saw the movie before that that came out. But uh, I feel, uh, I feel yeah. it's going to color uh, every time I see that guy in anything. It's going to color my my enjoyment. Of his work. It, it makes me wish I hadn't put off seeing L.A. Confidential for so long. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. I, I, just, I just feel like at, at with with everything that's happening in the world right now, it's just gotten to a point where you've either got to, like, give up on watching a bunch of good films forever or just well, you know, I've, I've said get that a it's... little comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, uh, I've been saying uh, you got to judge the stuff on a case-by-case mm-hmm. basis. Exactly. But right yeah. now, the caseload is huge. And <laughs> yeah. working through these cases is taking a while. That's all I'm, I'm saying. I, I'm of the philosophy that, like, you hate the jerk, not the work. Um, but, I mean, it gets hard when, like, they put... as When somebody puts a, a lot of themselves into something, it can get hard to separate it. Yeah. You know? 
again, it's a, it's a case by case kind of thing. You gotta you gotta kind of evaluate each work on its own merits, which means you have to watch them to make that evaluation a lot well, of the time. You so, know. except I, if Woody, I, I, well, except if it's like if it's like a Woody Allen film, you, I think you you kind of know what you're getting most of the time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Jeff. Any 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 plans for you? Uh, my plans are basically to to um, have a have a quiet Christmas with my family right now and make a whole bunch of YouTube videos before then because I need to. Uh, such is life. I am I am uh, hoping to make a stolen this year. I've never I, I do a lot of Christmas baking. I haven't made a stolen yet. Uh, usually the big obstacle is that you you have to bake them and then you have to let them sit for two weeks. So you really need to be on top of things. And I probably once again, not as on top of things enough to, to do that properly, but I'm going to give it a shot. You've got, you've got, no, yeah. you've got like three and a half weeks before Christmas. So you got yeah, yeah but I have, you know, parties before that, that uh, I need to, I need to prepare for. So I, I may, I may have missed the boat on some of those, but you might have to find your neighborhood stolen dealer. <laughs> oh, I, I, purchase I, a stolen. I, I know where to get a stolen. Okay. <laughs> But you want to make one. I want to make one, yeah. I want to tell people I made a stolen. Yeah, (laughs) It's it's like cooking your own souffle, you know? Yeah. You do it in part to do it. It's the experience. Mm -hmm. Experiential. I don't think we're going to do... We're going to make some cookies, I think. There's a thing happening next week I think we're going to bring cookies to. So I guess I got to make some cookies. (laughs) But that's about the extent of my baking. I I can send you my Pfeffernews recipe. Oh, well... All right. Well, I think that that wraps us up. So thanks so much for coming on, guys. Uh, w- where can people find you on uh, on social media and whatnot? I am Terebe Funhouse on Twitter, and that's T-E-R-E-B-E-F-U-N-H-O-U-S-E on Twitter, like Terebe, like Japanese for television, Funhouse, like uh, Funhouse, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you can find me at mrkitty.org or at letsanime.blogspot.com. Uh, and I am uh, G0FFThu on Twitter, so G0FFTHEW or GOFFThu um, is what I go by on Twitter. Um, and then on YouTube, you can find me at youtube.com slash Mother's Basement, uh, or you can find my podcast, The Weebcast, at youtube.com slash Basement Escape. Um, I, I, and, you know, if if you don't want to see me on there, I guess you can check out my Discord. There's links to that on my YouTube videos. I'm lots of places. I, I am everywhere on this internet. That's how um, you have to do it these days. you got to be everywhere. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, thanks for tuning in to our Zonin Canada Christmas special. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found on his album Packet Flood. Uh, you can find that at ultrakleistron.com. Uh, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, or your podcast app of choice. And if you could leave a rating or review, that'd be really great. Um, if you know anyone who might like this show, please recommend it to them. So uh, until next time, uh, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Holidays, and I'll see you again. See you on the flippity flop, kids. Peace out, dudes. <laughs> <laughs>